From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner-Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss. In every case of my career so far, the thing I've done after a big disappointment has been, I would say, nearly 10 times better than the thing I was doing before. Today on episode 56 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with Knut Callender. Knut is a coach and facilitator who has transitioned three times from employee to entrepreneur. In addition to describing what he has experienced in his own transitions, we discuss what Knut observes in his clients as they go through career transitions. Stay with us to hear all the details. If you'd like to share your story on going solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Knut Callender. Knut is a coach and facilitator with over 20 years experience providing leadership development and communication training to over 10,000 managers, directors, and sales associates in diverse industries such as biotech, technology, banking, real estate, manufacturing, media, higher education, and nonprofit. He has coached over 300 employees who were in transition from being individual contributors to becoming department heads or team leaders. Knut has devoted his career to finding out why some organizations are run so poorly, while others create an atmosphere of trust, loyalty, and fulfillment. Knut, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you so much for uh, having me. I'm really glad that you're on. And um, you, in fact, have gone from employee to entrepreneur three times. And how, how did your first or maybe your second transition help you with the, the one or the two that followed? Well, thanks for the question. And um, you know, just for your listeners, sometimes people hear my name or see my name and they wonder, where the heck is Knut from? And so I just wanted to say, just on a, on a personal note, I was named after a great uncle and a whole group of Swedes that came over in the early 1900s. My wife, who has been living overseas about five years of her life, when we first started dating, everybody wanted to know, where did you pick this one up? But truth be told, I am a Bay Area uh, born and raised uh, person, and I've been in uh, San Francisco Bay Area most of my life. And so if you're wondering about the exotic origins of my name, that's, that's where it comes from. So I had three very significant experiences. And I think I, on each one of them, I thought, I just want to do this on my own. I don't want to be part of a big company. Or even in the second case, it was a pretty medium to small size company that I had to leave. And each experience had its own challenges. You know, one was a Fortune 500 company that actually went belly up. So I had to leave uh, for that reason. And the other one was a real estate related company that when it hit the, uh, the real estate bubble, there was really nowhere for it to go. So both times I felt more vulnerable as a full-time employee than I thought maybe I would feel as uh, going solo. And so I had one last round uh, with a biopharmaceutical company uh, working full-time. And uh, I've got two years under my belt now after that of doing it on my own, which I love. You know, it's interesting, Knut, that you you reflect on feeling more vulnerable as a full-time employee than as um, an independent consultant, contractor, or, or entrepreneur, which um, I would say from what I see, um, I think most people that are employees 
feel like they, although they might want to be entrepreneurs, they think that as an entrepreneur, they're going to be more vulnerable because they're not getting a steady paycheck. Yes, it's true. And I I think what it really comes down to is there's multiple vulnerabilities. (laughs) So, and there are some that I prefer over others. But what I do feel in my experience was that, you know, with, with companies as a full-time employee, there are two important things that can happen. And one is that the company can fail and even the biggest company can fail. And so that's a rare occasion for most of us, uh, luckily. But I mean, think, you know, during COVID-19, I'm sure that's on a lot of people's minds. I would love to stay employed, but I don't know if my company will be able to. So that's one vulnerability. The other vulnerability is bad managers, right? So uh, you can be having a great time in a company. I've had that experience many times where I had the best manager in the world who was a mentor, coach, teacher, uh, learned so much from them, but they were switched out for someone that was really difficult to work with. And so that became a personal compromise in some cases that was too much, you know, and, and that was a feeling of, of uh, vulnerability there. But I guess, you know, in the bigger picture, I wouldn't say going solo, I've completely beat vulnerability. <laughs> it's like there's uh, plenty of things that can go wrong uh, when you're doing it on your own. I think most people are aware of that. Most people spend a lot of time being afraid of that uh, before they go into it. But I can manage my time, my efforts, I can focus my priorities. And I have a big enough network now that I've really been able to find work when I've needed to. So it's a different point in my career where it actually feels like it's working very well. But I think the anxiety around work, at least for someone like me, never quite goes away. Yeah, I'm not sure that the anxiety about um, where your revenue is going to come from and will it be sufficient for what you want. I think that there's, there's some level of that kind of anxiety for most people. Yeah, Absolutely. And I think if that's what you're trying to get rid of, it could be a fool's errand. <laughs> well said. For me. <laughs> yeah, no, no. That, it's, it's well said. I think also pointing to the three ingredients that you just mentioned, being able to manage your time, being able to focus priorities, and having a, a good and supportive network. I think it's important to understand that those ingredients can be really critical to being successful as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. Yeah. I was thinking about this before we got on the phone about how after a job ends, it can feel a little bit like a train wreck or an airplane crash. And one of the first things you want to do when you are in a situation that's a little bit like a crisis is to look around and say, what do I have that I can survive on? Is there any water left over? Is there any food? Are there people? Are there survivors? You know, we used to do this corporate training where we literally had people break into teams and they had to work out a scenario like that and figure out how to live two weeks in the desert <laughs> with what they had and, you know, with various uh, levels of success. But I think for me, it's been the resources have been the people, the network, any certifications or degrees that I have, and really calling upon people, like finding out the people who loved working with me in the past and connecting with them, and then also finding out if they know anybody who would need the kind of support that I, that I can offer. And in each of the cases of go- going solo, that was something I did relentlessly. And, uh, and in each case, had its own, you know, own ways of building, building the network and building the work stream. Let's talk a little bit about that because... I've come across many people that think they're supposed to be able to figure out this entrepreneurship thing on their own. 
Right. And they're very reluctant to get help. It, and it's not a matter of whether they have the financial resources to pay for help if it's paid help. But yeah. in lots of cases, you don't have to pay for the kind of help that you need. Right. Certainly, relying on people in your network for certain kinds of things is not something you're likely to have to pay for. Or if there's an investment, it's, it's probably pretty modest. Yeah. What's been your experience, um, both in the kinds of people that you help and also what you've done that can illuminate how you can get help from the people that know, like, and trust you? I see it as concentric circles and rings. And one of the first places to go is your family, right? Does your family know what you're doing? <laughs> and are you able to succinctly say what it is that you're trying to do or accomplish? And do you have a flyer or something that you can give to, you know, aunts and uncles and cousins and, and your wife and other people that you know? Only because you never know who your family knows. And if, and if, they, don't, if they can't say anything about what you're doing, they don't have an opportunity to promote you. So much of my work has come from word of mouth. And somebody said something about me. I wasn't even in the room. I didn't have to promote myself. I get a call from somebody that says, oh, this person did great work with you. We'd like to know a little bit more. And that starts the conversation running. So I like to go to that. I go to family. Then I go to friends. If I certainly go to LinkedIn. And I think in my mind about all the people who saw my work that loved it. And especially the person who signed the check or the person who got me to the training or, or somebody that I coached who I know is at a decision-making level within a company. And those all are great resources for me to, to tap and to let them know what my current brand statement is, let, you know, remind them of what I'm doing, check in and see if there's anything that they want. Uh, that's, that's been my, my primary way of getting business. And you know, do you have a, a system for doing this? I wish I did because <laughs> that could tell you all about it. And truth be told, it comes up because I, I did teach sales for about six years at a, at a medium-sized company. And so I ended up learning a lot of tools from that company. And then they randomly pop up. And one day I think, you know, I never asked for a testimonial from so-and-so. And I helped her with that training. In fact, I helped co-train with her. I should just reach out and uh, ask her if she'd write something for me for LinkedIn. And as soon as the thought popped into my head, I went, I bet she'll actually say yes, which she did. She wrote the best testimonial I've ever seen. It was terrific. But then the second thought was, I wonder if she'll send more business my way, which of course she did. <laughs> so I'm in a place now, luckily, where I'm not just trying to scare up business wherever I can. I, I have enough. And then I have a moment where I think, you know, I've got a little bit of room in July, or I've got a little bit of room in August, or I need more trainings and I need coaching. And then I start to think through my Rolodex and think, who, who haven't I been in touch with for a while? And I try to find out what they're doing. I go to LinkedIn, see what's new, see if they're in the old position that they were. And then I just reach out to them. Sometimes not even saying, uh, can you bring me business? In one case, I was coaching somebody that wanted to be an intern at, a, at an accounting firm. And I knew some people in an accounting firm. I'd worked for them. And I thought maybe I could set them up with an informational interview with them, which I did do. And they were, th they were thrilled. They were saying, oh, of course, we'd be happy to talk to your student. Oh, by the way, we could really use your help with another training. And so even just a casual conversation with somebody that you know that likes your work can sometimes lead them to think, oh, right, you know, we've been thinking about this training. It's been about a year since we had you here. We'd like to have you back again. 
so you're strategic and thoughtful about your relationships and about staying in touch with them, but not necessarily super structured about it. I, you know, this is probably the place where I lack the most skill. Like I am so not strategic. <laughs> and the more and more I've been learning about doing this on my own, the more I've learned about how exposure is the most important key to all of this. It's not just about the work. I've got a good work ethic. I've got a good product. People love it. But that's about 10% of what matters. And what matters a lot more is, is actually getting out there and having exposure. So some of the advice I'll give you know, is like advice I need to take as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so what is that advice? What do, you, what do you tell people about how they should do it? Well, I do let people know about the model, about how exposure is more important than your work, that that's 60% of what, you'll, what will matter in, uh, in getting business. And that, uh, and that usually is very deflating. So they go, wow, you know, I've been working so hard all my life. And I'm like, yeah, but if it's behind a shadow or no one can see it, it doesn't matter. So the one thing I do, and again, this has been a long road for me, but where I get most of my coaching clients almost always happens after a training when I have 40 to 60 people in a room. If I have folks for about a half a day, they get to know me, they've seen my work. And suddenly, you know, the week after that, I have lots of people signing up for me for, for coaching. And so I just know that exposure is key. Being actually seen, being in front of people. And if you struggle with giving presentations, just know that going on your own, you're, you're going to have to overcome it at some level because that's, that's the way that you draw business, right? It's getting a public venues, public opportunities, and chances to see more than one person at a time. Yeah, that, that's so true. Knut, I wonder if we could go back to the actual transition time itself, especially the early part of the transition that you've experienced and also what you see with people that you coach. For someone who has lost a job where it's not performance related, there are other circumstances, you've had some of those, that very first instant when you get the notice that this is your last day, or even if you have some advance notice that you knowing yeah. knowing that the job is going to end and it's going to end really soon, how did you feel, and how have you seen others feel at that very beginning part of the transition? It's funny because i I've worked with so many people that respond to that event so differently, and some who are just you know approach it with great enthusiasm and go to the next thing, and then others who really need a time to kind of dust themselves off. I definitely am the dust myself off category. Like each time I knew enough to know that it was coming. And I watched as other employees of my other companies I was a part of find other jobs. And I think their transition was easier in a way because they never got told you're leaving now. This is the end of the road. They picked up where the, you know, right where they where they left off into a new company. And it was a, the transition was easier for them. I believe it was. For me. It was much more of a, I knew that was coming. I have this severance to work with, but it's, it's actually never quite enough. <laughs> and it was a time to take stock and definitely look at how much did I enjoy what I was doing? Would I do the same thing? If I had a new opportunity, would I do it all over again? But in terms of the feeling, I just, I don't know how to, how to say it. I think for me, there's just a deep sense of, of fear, sadness, and frustration that comes with that feeling that you've either been banished or abandoned, right? 
And even though I knew it was coming, somehow when the day came that I actually had to go get my package and say goodbye to everybody, I really was hit with that, that feeling of, you know, I'm not part of the tribe anymore, so to speak. And I think, I think that probably takes a good two or three months in, for, for me to actually process, to work on, and to kind of refine my value. And again, that's personal. I really, I tell you, people do this in all kinds of different ways. But for me, it was always really hard. And what helped you get to the next step after that? Once I have a plan that I'm excited about and interested in, if that falls apart, then there's this kind of process of letting go of that thing that fell apart. And I don't start to feel motivated again or excited again until I actually have another plan that feels even more exciting. (laughs) And I actually think... um, there's a lot to be said for that because you couldn't have that second plan if the first plan didn't work. And in every case in my career so far, the thing I've done after a big disappointment has been, I would say, nearly 10 times better than the thing I was doing before. So it's easier for me now in a way to reinvent, reimagine, and do the next thing just because it's actually worked out every time. But that's really hard to remember when you're in the moment of it. It feels like you know things are falling apart. Yeah. Are there any any tricks that you use to try to remember that that what you what comes out of a disappointment is usually ten times better? Usually I can't see it. So I have to rely on my friends. And in one case, I actually, you know, after my second job transition, after leaving the small company I've been with for quite a while, I met somebody new and and started dating her. And she was in the same field that I was in, a very related field. And her career was thriving. So I had this interesting moment where I thought, well, I I can actually do what she does. And she was really great because she let me into her network and showed me a lot of what was going on in her world, which was related to my world. And I think that sort of building up a, hey, what I'm doing in my day-to-day is meaningful and interesting and down the road could actually work out better than what I was doing before, that all just, you know, it, it picked me up and, and was what made the difference. So I guess to boil it down, I would say, if you can't see it yourself, rely on the people closest to you. Rely on the people who, who know you and know your qualities. I think it's re- very useful actually sometimes to ask people, what is my brand? What are the top qualities that you see in me? What do people say about me when I'm not here on the positive side? And just start getting input from others. So, because sometimes when you're really upset about something that's happened, you're you can't trust yourself or your own self judgment. <laughs> you have to go to somebody else, and that's what helped me in in those times. Yeah, well, they're certainly they're going to be less emotional about it than you will be. So you you get a more objective opinion. You're going to get real honest feedback and positive or negative. You can use that to your advantage, and then figure out okay, what do I need to do next? You know, And the negative feedback is, wow, you're amazing. It's your confidence level. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay. That probably is the weakness I need to work on is actually trying to figure out how to improve my, my sense of confidence and awareness, not just you know, improve my skill set, but see the skill set that I have is actually very useful and something that I command right now. Again, looking at, looking at what you have as opposed to what you don't have. Knut, what resources do you wish you had had as you were making transitions from employee to entrepreneur? 
I love that question. And, and I often do that when I come up across something that's really useful to me. I think, oh my gosh, if I'd only read that when I was 20 or when I was 30. Uh, one of those is definitely the Enneagram, which is a psychological testing profile uh, or assessment, not testing, but assessment. And there's nine different psychological types. I spent years thinking I was a nine or a seven when I finally figured out my type, which is a six, which is very concerned about safety and loyalty, it opened up a whole world of understanding about my strengths and my weaknesses. So I, I think the Enneagram would have been a great resource to have much earlier in my life. I also wanted to recommend something that, that was a game changer for me. It's a book called The Upside of Stress by Kelly McGonigal. And it, it really surprised me in terms of this concept of it's not a lot of work. It's truly an attitudinal shift towards stress can have vastly different outcomes. And so I use this with clients as well who are interviewing. They're very, very worried and stressed. And Kelly, Kelly McGonigal really explains that process of, of how excitement and stress really are, cause all the same hormones to go off in your body and cortisol and everything else. But if you see it as negative and you're trying to tamp it down, it actually can physically harm you and be difficult. But if you are able to reframe it as excitement, like excitement before a football game or excitement before a big speech that you're actually thrilled to give, that stress can be really useful and helpful. And she gives you a lot of techniques for how to work with that. And it's made a big difference uh, for, for me as well. And then this is for leaders and managers. Anything you can find on psychological safety by Amy Edmondson, I highly, highly recommend it just explains so clearly how managing and leading by fear is so commonly used and is so often the mistake that creating psychological safety is a key to getting uh, better outcomes, to having employees admit when mistakes happen, to having continuous improvement, and frankly, also having a, a, a joyous, fun, good workplace, uh, which most, most of us really want to have, as opposed to the one where you're worried about your job being on the line all the time or that you're going to be criticized uh, by your manager or by leadership and therefore you kind of hide yourself, which is the opposite of what you want. So all of those things have been great resources for me. And if I'd had them 30 years ago, I know I would have used them to even greater effect than I have so far. Right. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you're doing now? Who's your ideal client? So my ideal client typically comes in and is rattled, their job is at stake, they're not sure what's going to happen, and they're in the business of either reinventing themselves and what they're going to do, or they're applying for a role that's in the, in the same category, right? It could be at the same company, it could be in a different company. And they are dealing with the transition, but at the same time, putting a plan and putting steps in, into place for their next, for their next big move. And that involves, um, you know, my least favorite part actually is resume and cover letter, but I'm very, very good at helping people with that, which is an important tool in that. But the part that I get the most excited about actually is helping people with interviewing skills. So I have a lot of resources for both developing the greatest answers, um, understanding what the questions are going to be, and how to present yourself in an interview situation. And I like it most when people are about one week out from their interviews. I don't know why, but they, they're stressed, but they're also very engaged and very awake and very alert and doing everything they can 
to get their stories down so that they're prepared for what is a very consequential meeting. And I, I get a thrill out of that. I love doing that work. Yeah, it's important work. Yeah. Yeah, it's very important work. And I, for anyone who doesn't use a coach, I couldn't tell you how much difference it really makes. And if you, if you don't have a coach or someone that you can easily do that with, make sure whatever you're doing, you're practicing it out loud with, with again, you know, family members, friends, people, because writing your answers on a piece of paper versus actually verbally expressing them couldn't be a, a more different skill. And you'll be caught empty-handed at the interview if you haven't said any of your answers out loud, for sure. Yeah, that is so true. Canoe, what's your dream for your business? Where do you want things to go? My business is going very well right now. And I like, I like what it, how it is. But again, speaking of that concept of you know, not being sure where the next paycheck will come from or, or that sort of thing, I have three sources of business. And one of them is a pretty a big egg in the basket. And so my recommendation to others and of course to myself is you got to watch out for that because anything can happen and you want to have a few other different resources. So in my perfect world, I'd have an account like Facebook or some other larger group that I'm working with, uh, both to get training appointments and to get scheduled coaching. Got it. And Knut, if somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed today, it's been a great discussion about your own experiences and also uh, what you see in the people you coach. So you're, you really become quite an expert on managing transitions. If somebody wants to go deeper with anything or access any resources you have, where's the best place for them to go? So the best way to reach me is by email. And you can also find me at LinkedIn at canutecalendarlinkedin.com. And my email address is knutek at gmail.com, which is spelled K-N-U-T-E-K at gmail.com. I'd be really happy to talk with you if you're looking for uh, resources around how to deal with transition, how to develop yourself, career assessment tools like the Enneagram, StrengthsFinder, MBTI, or if you're just looking for help on your resume or interviewing, I would be happy to to, to work with you. That sounds great. And is there um, an offer that's part of that? There is anybody now. I've never done this before, so this is this is inspired by you, David. And we'll we'll see how this goes. Um, I typically don't offer free sessions, but for the sake of of this and and to see how how it goes out there, and of course for the sake of my own exposure, <laughs> I'm letting everyone know that if uh, you have a 25 minute free session with me, if you uh, let me know that you've heard this show, and uh, and you send me an email at knuk.gmail.com. Uh, be happy to do a, if a session with you either on Zoom or Google Hangouts or possibly on the phone. And uh, believe it or not, you know, people think 25 minutes is so fast and it is pretty quick, but a surprising amount can happen in that short period of time. So I'd be happy to talk with you if you'd like some career support. Yeah, and a surprising amount can happen in 25 minutes. And Knut, I, I want to thank you for trying this out on, uh, on our show. I'm grateful f- that you've come on and and shared your story and also that you're willing to um, to try this this uh, method of exposure out. My guest today has been trainer and career coach, Knut Callender. Thank you again, Knut, for joining us. Terrific. When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Today, we learned the importance of understanding your vulnerabilities as you go through a major transition. If you'd like to share your story on going solo, please get in touch with me at smashingtheplateau.com. 
Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them learn how to build a successful business after a late career job loss. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.